Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Luke Larative from Seneca Financial Solutions. How are you going, mate? Hi, Jay. How are you? Good, mate. Good. Um, it's always good to have you on the show because we get to talk pretty frankly about investing. And uh, <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Today we're talking about um, we're going to be talking about ETFs um, as a way to use income, and we're going to be talking about specific types of products that get a lot of attention, whether it's in the media or just by like it's in the investor zeitgeist because of marketing or whatever. Um, but just before we get to that, you've been on the show like a lot. You you write prolifically prolifically, if that's a word. Um, and, you know, you share a lot of your insights on individual companies, on multi-asset, all that sort of stuff. But for folks that don't know about your uh, Seneca, can you just give us kind of the 101 of Luke and Seneca? Yep. Um, so we started Seneca six years ago. Um, it's a, a investment management boutique and financial advice boutique. Um, we sort of specialize in high net worth families, individuals, um, business owners. Um, it's kind of you know, our, our wheelhouse generally skews a little bit younger than the average kind of financial planning practice. Um, we run uh, a bunch of products internally as well. So uh, we're a little bit of a fund manager, a little bit of a stockbroker, and a little bit of a financial planning business. So that's kind of a, roughly what we do. Yeah, great. And uh, people can go, go to the Seneca website, which will be linked in the show notes, and have a look at what you do. And what's super cool about what you've built at Seneca is basically like how automated everything is like for, for someone that's like interested in technology myself, I would expect that a lot of the finance industry is able to do that, but a lot of them can't. And uh, you've shown the industry that you can do that. So that's awesome. But today I, I was thinking like we could talk about income because it is by far the number one thing that's on people's mind right now. Um, 100%. Passive, passive income, this whole phrase of passive income and immediately people think, well, Ter- terrible phrase. Terrible yeah, they- phrase. <laughs> They think share market, right? They, they just straight away think share market. Um, some people think like rental properties, which are a whole different basket. But um, <laughs> I, I was expecting you to come in because you've got the Australian shares, SMA, and you manage you know, that portfolio. I thought you'd come in talking about individual companies. But in anticipation of this, you're like, I wanted to give you something different. And we're going to talk about some ETFs. So can you maybe walk us through 
there's two in particular that I know you want to get to, which are the the two funds from BetaShares that do receive a lot of attention. Um, a lot of investors ask questions about these on the show every week. So there's the HVST ETF or managed yeah. fund, as it should be known, and the YMAX, Y-M-A-X. Oh, those are the ticker symbols, both from BetaShares and both receive a lot of attention because they seem to do something at least the title says that they do something that people want. So can let, let's just take them. Let's take them however you want, and we'll talk about what they do and maybe some of the shortcomings or pros and cons. Yeah, I think like you know this whole category of sort of like high dividend ETFs um, and 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 high dividend listed investment companies as well. I'll throw in, I throw you know I could easily throw in and talk about like you know some of the Wilson products and 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 other things as well. So essentially, things that have a very big headline yield seem to attract. A lot of investor intention. They seem to have a lot of faith in these products, um, mm. but when we actually look at the data, a lot of this stuff doesn't stack up. So I'll use the the yield max or yield maximizer. I think it's called YMAX. That's got an eleven percent uh, headline yield, uh, mm. and the harvester, the HVST, has got a nine point eight percent headline yield. However, you know those products have you know significantly underperformed a broad based you know basic Vanguard VAS ETF. And even underperformed other high yield strategies with lower headline yields, like the Vanguard high yield, which has got like a six point something uh, mm. headline yield. And I suppose I just wanted to maybe inform people and, and give people some understanding about how these products actually work, um, what they actually do, um, and, and why I think people should avoid them, all of them. <laughs> you know, um, and, and I know that's kind of a, a, a weird thing to say, but I think people will understand at least my point of view on them and, and why. Um, yeah, mm. I, I, don't, I don't own them and I don't recommend them to clients. So when you say avoid them, do you mean like every dividend style ETF? Is that what we, I mean, we're kind of giving the answer at the top of the show here, but are you saying like every <laughs> dividend style ETF? Yep. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's get, yeah. Okay. Let's get into it. So, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. 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 Let's, let's go. So, um, so maybe we'll start with the HVST ETF, which is the Australian yep. Dividend Harvester Fund. Now, my understanding of this, Luke, is that it has like a core portfolio so inside this ETF. There's a core portfolio, and then it simply has a separate part of the portfolio which just buys whatever's going to pay a dividend in the next three months. Is that right? Uh, yeah, this one's a bit more high turnover than that. So, from what I understand, and it how it works doesn't really matter because it doesn't work. So that's the takeaway: <laughs> is it doesn't work, right? So. Um, even though it has a headline yield, it's only generated a seven percent return over this over the sort of ten year period, um, while other products have done you know multiples of their money over the same period, um, so taking less risk. So all this does it says okay, we're going to invest in you know ASX twenty primarily companies, uh, and we're going to spin the portfolio around, and we're going to invest in whatever's come dividend, and then we're going to sell at X dividend, and that's like an old school you know I'm like ex stockbroker what we would call like a dividend strip strategy where you're allocating sort of larger portions of your capital um, to less shares, like less positions, mm-hmm. but you're cycling them more often. It's, it's high turnover. That's kind of the, um, mm-hmm. you know, why it works for stockbrokers is because you make a lot of money on brokerage um, <laughs> from your clients and uh, the clients feel good because they get these, you know, large, payments into their bank account from the dividends all the time. Um, however, what actually happens over time is you end up significantly underperforming the market because often stocks have this sort of pre-dividend run-up um, and, and you end up buying shares in that period and then they have 
like ex dividend kind of fall in momentum, you know, because they're because of people doing this for franking credit harvesting and that kind of thing. Um, and, and the sum total here doesn't result in much. I think um, I mean, you probably got the stuff there, Owen, but like that product over 10 years has done a gross return of 7.87%, while the, the broader index has done 85%. Um, so mm. that gives you sort of the level of underperformance we're talking about. So even though you're getting high dividends, your total returns are trash. So you know you, you don't want to you don't want to you want if you want to invest for have a high dividend strategy that's fine, but you don't want to do it at the expense of your total return. Total return is all that matters, um, and we can kind of get to how how I think about returns and, and why I think like that as we go. But that's mm. the that's the WiMAX. Um, uh, sorry, the HBS, the harvester strategy. Yep. The WiMAX strategy is a little bit more complicated. It's a strategy that um, essentially, again, has focus on the ASX20 um, and they're selling covered calls over the top of, of so Can you of explain long, what that means? Long stock positions. Yeah, sure. So uh, essentially in the options market, there's an ex- in Australia, there's an exchange traded options market. Uh, if you don't know what options are, go on Investopedia and do a little bit of Googling. But essentially, yep. it's the right to buy or sell um, shares in the future at an agreed price. Yep. Um, and, and essentially, what this is, is the right to sell shares at an agreed price and or, or the right to buy shares at an agreed price. They are selling the right to buy to somebody else. That's complicated. I get it. I'll say it again. Selling <laughs> the right to buy a share to somebody else. And like uh, selling an insurance premium, you get they, they receive the premiums. If the share, if they don't, if the other person doesn't make a claim, make a claim. exercise yeah. their right, right. So, um, it's a, it's like acting as a as an insurance house and, and selling yeah. selling risk, um, selling har- harvesting volatility is kind of another way to think about it. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, um, it's supposed to generate income for clients, and, and it does, it does, it does, it does work pretty well. Um, the issue was, is say twenty years ago. There were four or five different market makers in Australia. A market maker is the person who, if you want to sell an option, they're the person who buys it off you and then they pass that risk on to somebody else, um, which makes it competitive for spreads. And spread in, in the options market is big. It can be like 15%, 20%. So depending mm. on the contract you're trying to deal in, the size you're trying to deal in. So trading in the options market over the last 20 years has just declined. Like you go on the ASX website, you can have a look at the trading volumes of exchange traded options in this country. And there's, there's one market maker now, so they charge whatever the hell they like. There's less stocks being offered to trade options on by the ASX and the volumes have declined, which means it's, it's harder to get in and out of positions at size and scale, which means you're paying more and more all the time in spread. Um, and so trading options generally is become a lot harder um, and where the diversity from which you can generate options premium has got smaller and smaller. And, and, and that's why these strategies might have worked in the 2000s or even the, the 90s. And I know lots of brokers and advisors who used covered call strategies or, or option premium strategies in that period and did well for clients. Mm. But it, does, it doesn't work the same way as it always has. And it's not as lucrative as it always has. And as a result, um, you know, this product, just looking at our numbers we put together, Owen, same period, again, benchmark's done 85% return and uh, this has done 44. So you'd be much better off with a basic long-only product and just selling a few extra shares every year to spice up your yield um, mm. rather rather than having a high headline yield product um, and, you know, overall lower returns. So 
This is a really interesting one, the covered call strategy. Um, so in effect, just to recap there, people, uh, so beta shares in this instance, uh, these are quite common strategies throughout the world. Uh, very common. In Super fact. common. Super yeah. common. Uh, um, so basically what happens is you try and add a little bit of spice, as you're saying, like a little bit of extra income by selling these options. And they're typically, I don't know if they're always out of the money, meaning that they don't always get called away yeah. typically. This, this strategy is 3 to 7% out of the money call options, one to three month strikes ahead of time, three months ahead of time. So say for example, if we used um, like BHP today, let's just say the share price is 45 bucks, they would sell like a $47 call to November. And, and on, on, a, on a contract like that, you would probably pick up an annualized return of about 6%. I would say mm. just top top of my head, I still trade options for one client um, out of okay. uh, as a legacy. So I'm doing this stuff for a client reasonably regularly. Um, now you're not picking up six percent total return. You, when I said six percent annualized return, so you, yep. it's you're only out two or three months ahead. So you can sort of divide that by four as the actual premium. But you might do that across twenty stocks. Um, and on BHP, you're going to get more premium because BHP share price is more volatile. If you did it on, say, Transurban, you're going to get like 3% annualized or something yeah. lower because the vol's lower. So option pricing is a whole nother um, mm. sort of story. But I, I think, um, and, and probably three-part three podcast episode, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, that, that's roughly what, how, how it works. Yeah, but they try and use these cover call strategies in what we call sideways markets, right, where the market's not going up or down, you can try and use them. Get extra, it, like an extra return without the long only sort of portfolio going up. Correct. Because yeah. if you but, use some options in rising markets, they get called away, right? Like the shares get ripped and, away. And this is, why, this is why I don't like these strategies as a general comment and why I think long only and, and the data supports it, long, just being long only boring is better, um, is simply because, you know, you give a, you don't know necessarily when the market's going to move. And you don't know, um, you know, when a stock's going to re-rate or why it's going to re-rate. Um, and, you know, mm. so, so I think that to have these, you know, a cap on your upside, um, you do just generally, you know, re- you know reduce your return. And, and it doesn't actually change your, your vol or your sort of your longer term mm. uh, max drawdown. It doesn't really give you anything back. So you're just kind of reducing your return for not much incremental offset in risk. So whilst it is lower risk, um, it's not that much lower risk and you, you you give up a lot of return for reducing the risk relative. And you typically amount. pay higher fees because these are more complicated strategies to implement, right? I think it's on like 70 basis points, that thing. Like, you know, you could almost, you'd almost get me to work for you for that kind of money. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a, um, yeah. you know, so yeah, I'm just, you know, it's a, uh, they're not cheap. Like people, ET, just because they're an ETF doesn't mean it's cheap. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the ETFs I look at are pretty much the same price as our Aussie shares portfolio, which is you know forty five basis points, um, and mm. the ETFs aren't much much cheaper. Even just the broad based you know loss leader stuff that Vanguard or iShares put out. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is really interesting though. Okay, so just looking at, I think you sent. Um, I think I'm looking at the ten year returns here. I could be wrong, Luke. Yeah. Um, or have you got it on the screen in front of you for those people that are watching? Sure. Share if, if you share that fact set screen again. Yeah. Um, so for anyone that's watching, can you just read out the return of like the ten year return of like the the three big ones? So we've got um, the Vanguard one. Yeah. 
the two beta shares products. So it looks like. So your Vanguard, your Vanguard high yield Australian shares has done 6.88 yep. compounding over 10 years. Your All Lords, just your, your, your bog standard benchmarks done 8, 8%. Your Vanguard Australian shares, which is the ASX 300, has done 7.58. Mm-hmm. Your beta shares, uh, that the red one is, I think that's hard. Uh, that's top the, 20 the, the wine, the, No, that's the WiMAX. That's the covered call strategy, 5%. Yep. The dividend strip has done 1.26%. Yeah, um, cool. And then the other two products you asked me to pull up, which is the SPDR uh, Australia yeah, the Select SYI. High Dividend, SYI. Yep. That's done 5.93. And then the Globex ASX 300, which you tell me has been, you know, yeah, it's been re- rejigged. Re- it actually rejigged. New product. looks a lot better. New, yeah. New product now, but historically that's done 3% return. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, you know, you're doing a pretty much the best returns on offer were in the Vanguard Australian shares ETF. So ASX 300, long only, forget about dividends. That is your best thing to invest in. If you want to do better than that, you can always ring up Seneca Financial Solutions and we'll try and outperform that for you. But the um, the uh, but if you're just talking about passive strategies and being passive, I think if you're going to be a passive investor um, and you know you want to invest in market cap weighted ETFs, like actually mm. do it and just stick to it. Your advantage is that you're going to be more disciplined. Sorry about the noise next door. Uh, more disciplined and Mm. Um, more consistent than, and you're going to stay invested. And that's your, that's your hack. That's your edge. Yeah. Whereas um, I think these other strategies that have high head non yields are just taking money off you and they're not giving you, giving you anything back. Yeah. So this is really interesting to me. So we've got Aussie shares, just to recap, Aussie shares at 7.6%. This is the Vanguard Aussie shares, just as an index for like the broad base. There's obviously the ASX 200 equivalents, which would be very similar, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, You've got the the high yield Vanguard product is the second best at six point eight eight, um, and then it basically drops away to that first beta shares one at five point one. Um, the SYI is the SYI is probably third, yeah. Um, and I would imagine over the next ten years, this is my just thumb suck, right? Is that Vanguard would probably be first, then either the Global X one or the the SYI because they're so simple. Um, it's a like it's the best strategy. Like you can just. You're better off just being lot. If you even if you want to buy a high yield product, which I don't know why you would, but let's assume that you did. Just the best products are the ones that are just long only, and don't do anything else because it's the it's the long onlyness where you make your returns. Yeah. The rest of the stuff is just sex. They're trying to sell you, you yeah. know, and it's just being long. That's what makes money is just being in the market, the beta. The um the interesting thing though, here's a question for you though, right? So we'll turn off the screen now for those yeah. of you that are watching, but um. Okay, so what about this one then? Say you're in retirement phase and you love those franking credits, so you don't mind the dividend focus rather than just being long only. What would you say to that? Like that's a common question we get. Yeah, I get it, and, and I get um, you know the, the challenges of retirement. I mean, we do plenty of money for retirees. Um, I, I would just say, okay, like let's say we have a ten percent return on our portfolio for the year. Mm-hmm. And you need five percent yield to live on. Well, you just sell enough for your portfolio to generate your five percent yield, five percent of your stocks, and you've still got a ten percent total return. Mm. Or you can have a portfolio that goes up five percent and pays you a five percent dividend yield. Now, 
that's not, uh, you know, on a gross basis, then that's apples and apples. I, I, there should be no, there's no difference. Yes, you could talk about CGT, but assuming you hold stuff for a year and, you know, um, mm. you, get the, you get those discounts. On an after-tax basis, it's going to be negligible on the, on the two returns. And I think, um, you know, I wouldn't be, I, I don't build portfolios to chase yields. I think that um, what you should do is build the best portfolio you can possibly own to generate the best total return. Mm. Um, and, and that will not only uh, give you better numbers in the long run, it will also actually protect you on the downside because of the quality and the style of companies you can buy when you're not so focused on just chasing yields all the time. Like our, our Aussie shares portfolios at a 4% net yield, like it's grossed it up probably five point something. But, mm. you know, it's not like we don't use dividends or we don't believe in receiving dividends. I love dividends. Like dividend growth is one of the best, best factors for picking stocks in terms of, the, you know, that mm. you, can, you, can, you can find. Um, however, it's, I think this fascination with a, with a high headline yield all you do, and I mean, I sent you that chart this morning on, but like the difference between VAS, the, the ASX 300, and that VHY um, high yield product, um, you know, there's no difference. They both go down 32%. They both gain about 15% when the market goes up. They've both got similar beta, mm. similar correlation to the market, you know, um, similar number of negative periods, similar number of positive periods. And I'm talking over 10 years, we're talking like five, five, you know, five weeks, you know, difference mm. between the two. So you're not getting any extra protection. You're not getting any extra downside. You know, people buy these dividend stocks because it's safer and better and all that. They're not. It's the same. It's just the same as the other products, but you just get less returns. <laughs> it's crazy. But you know this, right? You know why we do this as an industry, right? Because we have the income thing and then we have the growth thing so that people can buy both, Right. There's something for everyone. Right? Look, I, I'm not saying that there, there that there's not income concerns for for retirees, and I'm not saying that the, the the franken credit benefits in a super fund are immaterial. It's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is is that you can manage for those requirements without buying something on a high yield. Mm. It's not a it's not it's not requ- it's not a requirement to, re- to to manage a portfolio for for a retiree um, to have everything in the portfolio on a 10% dividend yield. And certainly there are very few investments uh, at an aggregate level, like a fund where you're buying multiple things that have, in my experience, an 11% yield that don't underperform. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't. For, really on, a, on a risk-adjusted basis. Um, Interestingly, right. Okay, so a lot of people would be like, it, it, there's one thing that you touched on earlier on, which I don't think people get. <laughs> I just don't think people understand this is so retiree is a bit of a different situation because of the tax free environment for some folks, but pre-retirement is the portfolio turnover. And a lot of those trading style income products are turning over very quickly. So they're crystallizing tax losses and gains, right? Which is not a good thing if you're trying to grow, but we can't, as an industry, we, we say we can't report after tax returns because we don't know everyone's tax, you know, Right. Yeah, situation, yeah. Yeah. So I guess I think, that's why some of those simple products also, again, have a huge advantage over those that turn over the portfolio. Look, I think if you're looking at a, um, an active manager, 
for the ASX 200, 300, just like a broad base sort of core manager, kind of like, like what we do at Seneca. Um, the best products of all time in Australia, the, the, the best managers, the, you know, the, the best funds, um, and they're not necessarily the best now, but they, you know, they've been the best over the last mm. 20 or 30 years, some of them. They just, you know, 30, 40% turnover, long only, no gearing, no derivatives, focus on quality and growth at a reasonable price, you know, with some valuation discipline, pretty sensible stuff. And they just target two to 4% alpha. No more. Don't try and be the best performing fund in the country. Don't have the biggest headline returns. Keep the yield at, you know, plus or minus where the, the index is. Mm. And those are the products that on a 20-year basis, when you look back, are the best performing products, most consistent, generate returns, compounded, and they just compound at 2 or 3% more than the index year after year, like a clock. And then over 15, 20 years, they are miles and miles and miles ahead of all those sexy strategies that have high yields or amazing two-year numbers or, you know, are the best performing fund on Livewire last year, all that, you know, so it's actually so um, easy to get caught up in all that, but mm. the, the data doesn't lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's total return. Again, we'll come back to that. Um, Maybe even after tax total return, if you if anyone can calculate for themselves, that would be the way that we would probably tell people to think. There's um there's some interesting things that happen with those over trading strategies as well, because a lot of them don't capture franking credits because they're turning over so much. They don't get the forty five day rule. You know, the forty five day. I think they day. do. I think they do sometimes. I think they do pick up that like they're they're quite aware of that, and I think the oh, strategy they... the strategy rules are set up, but you know they're non discretionary. They're systematic. So you know, mm. an ETF, whether it's a market cap weighted, equal weighted you know, weighted the way these are. They're just rules-based trading strategies that have been implemented for people to use. And I think it's important, in ET you know, if you are an ETF investor, to understand that it, there's no rule or there's no one in the world that says that a market-cap-weighted market portfolio, which is what you're buying most of the time in an index sort of uh, ETF, is the best way to weight a portfolio. No one, there's no, like no hmm. one made that, there's no rule. It's just what sort of Vanguard have kind of troped out and everyone's kind of just sort of made it the thing. It's just, you know, I, so I think that, you know, from my perspective, it's not how I like to invest my money. Um, I like to understand everything that I own. I like to, you know, have, have get into the weeds with things. And, and I think that's going to, you know, generate better returns for me over the long run hmm. in the style that I like to invest. I'm not saying anyone else has to, you know, subscribe to that, but, you certainly don't have to just subscribe to the, you know, the, the rule that a rules-based investment around market cap index weights is the is the way to go because it's not. It's just a way to benchmark returns that we've always used. Mm. Yeah, fair, fair. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, the, the reason I bring up that 45-day uh, rule is like some of them do work and they are designed that way, but they don't always work um, because sometimes they don't hold positions at risk even though they target like the next three months, that's 90 days. They don't always hold for 45 days. So sometimes they do miss the franking credit benefit, which is for what sure. people are going for. Um, and again, it just comes back to simplicity and total return focus. I think if anyone takes anything away from this, it's that. But so you would say like you've never just the, the cream of the crop is the Vanguard VHY strategy, right? Um, if, you, if you're going to buy a high yield, high headline yield product, I think that's the best best example because it's the least yield focused of the high yield products <laughs> <laughs> i know that's like yeah it doesn't seem right it's got a six point something i can't remember what it is uh headline yield 
and it has a broader base because it's not relying on ETOs, which are only focused on really the top 20, and it's not um, relying on dividend strips where you're getting a lot of turnover in the portfolio. You are getting a, um, a more broad-based representative portfolio. It's closer to what VAS looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, if VAS is your sort of gold standard ETF, then uh, VHY is the best high-yield version of that that I've seen. Yeah, um, and and I think, uh, but but I think investors need to rethink their affinity to these high yield products because um, they're really, uh, in, in my view, just giving up total returns for mm. for no for no incremental risk mitigation. Um, yeah, I I think like it's a little bit shocking to me to me when I see that there's hundreds of millions of dollars in some of these things. Like, <laughs> Just I, give little old Seneca Financial Solutions 10 or 20% of that. I'll be retired next week. <laughs> But I, I just, it just, it just gets me every time, right? Like I just, I, I see that, and um, it just shows the power of some of these, um, I guess, like products and the, the desire for just that percentage chase, like percentage chase. You actually brought up something interesting before, which was like how dividend growth is a key factor in determining like the quality and the prospects of an individual company. So maybe I think we're going to have you back on the show to talk about. I'd be really keen to do this with you, like one for one. Is like. Um, how to use those factors to create watch lists or create portfolio shortlists? Because I know mm-hmm. you spent so much time, you showed us before and like fact set before, but actually studying this stuff and seeing what has worked, what hasn't worked. So that's definitely one on the, for the, on the cards for the future. But another episode I'm going to get you back for is how you find multi-baggers in Australia. One of the most popular episodes we did in July was how to hunt for multi-baggers. And we only spent about five minutes on it, but we're going to come back for that. So that would be heaps of fun too. Everyone um, wants to get rich quick. Everyone wants to get rich quick. But a multi-bagger, man, I, I'm, like in terms of yield versus multi-bagger, I'm like, well, total return terms, I'm going for multi-baggers too, right? Yeah, so, me too. Me yeah, too. Yeah. Um, so we'll have that coming up on the show soon. But in the meantime, people can reach out to you on the Seneca website, which is available in uh, the podcast player. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, just hit the link there. If you're on YouTube, same thing. Um, mate, anywhere else people can go to follow or get in touch look we write for for you guys at rask i'm always you know we're covering stocks on there we've written a couple of articles for livewire recently which have done pretty well um we do ausbiz sbs news every other media mm. channel you'll see my bald head on um <laughs> but look people are welcome to to drop me an email happy to catch up with people we'll do 15 20 minutes on a call and chat about their portfolio answer questions um you know make myself available um you know, whether you want to be a client or not, um, you know, it's no biggie, but uh, certainly happy to sort of, you know, share my perspective on things. And, and you know, I can't say that I cover every single micro cap on the ASX, but, um, you know, I'll do my happy best. To have and, a chat. Yeah, happy to have a chat about markets and stuff. And, you know, you and I love, we have a catch and chat, chat stocks all the time. So happy yeah. to do that with, uh, with any of the Rask audience. And, yeah, appreciate everyone, you know, signing up and, uh, supporting what we do, I suppose, and and for you, mate, always supporting what we do and getting behind us. I really, uh, really appreciate it. No, mate, it's awesome. Great stuff. You're doing a great thing. So, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to to come along. Mate, thanks for having me.
For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.